0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Weissman. I am the editor of Modern Retail. And today we have Melissa Spencer Barnes, the CMO of Trade Coffee, uh, a subscription coffee company that has seen orders of magnitude more demand and sales and interest over the last few months for obvious reasons, given that people are home and they need their caffeine. I'm really excited to talk about just the overall mechanics of a subscription business, especially one where the product uh, is in such high demand and also is at has to deal with so many different roasters and makers involved with the process so hey Melissa how's it go how's it going
1: it's great how are you doing
0: I can't complain thanks for taking the time to join today um just before we begin for and i I'm, I know trade coffee but for those who don't know do you want to just sort of give sort of exactly what the model is with trade how you guys go about it
1: yes yes I'd be happy to so trade is a platform that connects coffee drinkers all over the country at various levels, whether you're an expert or you're just getting into specialty coffee, we connect them to roasters all around the country and deliver coffee to them on demand. So our platform helps match people to the coffees that we think they're going to like the most based on their preferences. And then the coffee is all roasted on demand by the roasters and shipped directly to the consumer.
0: And you have subscriptions, right? Is this a, do you have subscriptions to do that?
1: It is, yes. Primarily subscription or you could purchase a la carte, yes.
0: What What is the mix between it's mostly subscriptions, like 90% you'd say?
1: It is mostly subscription, yes. Interesting. And so I'd be
0: interested just to know, how do you source the the roasters themselves? Because you have many different localized roasters and that's on an on-demand model. How do you sort of go about that, especially since they, I guess, pre-COVID, though soon to be, probably have other, other places they're also supplying to?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, as you can imagine, as the company was being launched, that was like a big part of the proposition was actually signing on all these roasters. And there was literally a roaster road trip where, um, you know, our team went out to scout and meet all these roasters and sign them up. At this point, we have 55 roasters on our platform. And it really comes down to our, our coffee team. We have a team of amazing experts, including our director of coffee, Mache, who's a certified Q grader. um, And we open source uh, recommendations for roasters and we proactively look for roasters. And we're really looking for the best of the best roasters in the country. And he QAs or cups all the coffee and makes sure that it meets our standards, both from a quality perspective, as well as ethical sustainability, um, practices. Um, so we basically do all the work of curating for the consumers so they don't have to research and track down all the best coffee roasters. And so it really gives them access to the best of the best without having to like put all the work into it, if you will. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Is there, is there sort of a rubric with scale for the coffee roasters, such as are they able to produce at a certain point? How do you approach that?
1: Yes, yes, that's a very good question. and that that is a big part of it. It's really finding a balance where we're looking for roasters that can provide coffee at scale and obviously hit also uh, the certain margin uh, price points that we're we're looking to achieve based on our model. Um, but we're also being very sensitive to make sure that roasters get enough volume because really at the end of the day, this is a partnership. You know, we succeed when roasters succeed and and vice versa. So we want to make sure that they are getting, A fair price from from a wholesale perspective, and then also they're getting enough volume. So for us, it's not the name of the game isn't to sign on as many roasters as possible. It's to make sure each of the roasters is able to thrive and and be successful while also meeting our our customers' demands and making sure that we have a like merchandising strategy that meets customers' taste profiles like across the the spectrum.
0: Absolutely. So can you talk to me a little bit about the last few months? Because I know from personal experience that there was a run on Coffee Online. And so <laughs> I imagine that, uh, yes. and I actually, uh, I talked to your your CEO uh, a few weeks ago, I remember, and, and he mm-hmm. mentioned that you've been seeing an acceleration in demand like you've never seen before. Can you just go, go into sort of what you saw in terms of people seeking out trade, how, what you did as the CMO to sort of bring people into that funnel? What was your overall approach as there was a huge uh, drive to home essentials like coffee?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely saw that. I mean, part of our, our, mission as a company is really to be inclusive to all coffee drinkers. And so this was kind of like the perfect opportunity as so many people were finding the, the need to brew at home as like an, a necessity. So we really wanted to be there in their time of need to support them, get them the coffee they needed on demand, but also to complement that with education and resources to make them feel empowered and confident to brew at home. Because if, if you've been picking up coffee, you know, at a coffee shop, like, you know, on your normal routine, and you're all of a sudden uh, brewing at home for the first time, it can be a little bit intimidating. And so our brand really is all about making it easy and matching people to the right coffee, but then also giving them that, that kind of support to brew on their own. Um, so that's kind of on the the content side. I would say the other kind of challenge we faced is just obviously we're only two years old. So, you know, we can only sell coffee to people who know who we are. So definitely a big, big part of the um, the equation was also just getting the word out there and making sure that we were capturing as much of the demand as possible and really driving as much sales as we could to support our our roasters. And then from the product side, we also needed to innovate to really meet the demands of customers where they were. So for instance, at the very beginning, we saw that, you know, as you mentioned, there was kind of more of a stockpiling mentality. Um, and so we, we only um, offer like 12 ounce, you know, typical uh, mm-hmm. coffee bag size. Um, but we, we realized that there was probably like a, a demand and appetite for stocking up with like a larger bag. So we worked quickly with our roasters to offer five pound bags, which are typically something they only sell to coffee shops or wholesale. Um, so that was kind of like a perfect instance that they were looking to, you know, kind of offload these five pound bags yeah. and our customers were looking to stockpile. So it's kind of a perfect thing. And we did other things like with our subscribers, just seeing that they were running through coffee faster than they anticipated. So we created a get it now button for subscribers so they could get the closest coffee from like a nearby roaster, so they could get it quicker. You know, makes our, our objective was to make sure people never ran out of coffee. Basically,
0: absolutely, it's actually kind of funny, right? when shelter in place began in Brooklyn, I was freaking out about coffee and I ended up going to my local co- coffee shop, which happened to be open for the last day. And I bought mm-hmm. a five five pound bag, which they've never sold before. But it was like, they were like, we need to get rid of this. So yeah.
1: I don't think people realize how much coffee they go through if they're yeah. brewing every single day at home, especially if there's two people, you know, that you tick through a bag. That was quickly. exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: but you were talking about sort of making sure you were catching as much of the demand as possible. So what was your overall strategy in terms of marketing channels? Were you capitalizing on lower CAC? How? Were, mm. What were your investments in that space?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, on just kind of all the growth channels, CPMs came down, so we were able to spend more and capture more volume. But for us, it was also opening up the top of the funnel that, you know, we hadn't really done. We had been more focused on more performance marketing up until mm-hmm. then so we made investment in um, in kind of more like native platforms like for instance on on yahoo to to be on the homepage and just kind of get that visibility of all those those eyeballs we also produced a our first youtube video Um, that we actually very scrappily created in one week using our own company as uh, the talent and as the production crew. Um, and it was really designed to, um, to show our customers to spread that message that we were there for them so that they can continue to brew coffee and connect with one another in spite of being separated. Um, and we actually found it was more of a brand ad. Um, but we actually found that it drove really strong performance because I think people were actually like compelled by, by the message. Um, So that was like a a key way that we got the word out there. And also I think started to form connections with customers earlier on to like make it clear that this isn't just like a coffee company that we're we're there for you in in a bigger way.
0: In terms of just those initial weeks when people were stockpiling, was there more of an uptick in one-off purchases or were you seeing people also purchasing subscriptions as well?
1: it was it was like very much a mixture of both but one one thing that's interesting is we've basically seen that as you know basically month over month our our new customers doubled and what we found is that the breakdown of a la carte as we call it the one off purchases and then the different types of subscriptions pretty much remained consistent um so that was like kind of really positive to us to see that as we were scaling and reaching a wider audience we were actually kind of continuing to stay true to you know, where we had started out, which is really meeting people where they are in their coffee journey and making sure that they get the right product to meet their needs.
0: Absolutely. Had you ever considered doing one of those larger uh, campaigns before, like Yahoo homepage or those YouTube, or was this just because of the moment we were in?
1: It was really uh, in the moment that we were in and just having to kind of rise to the occasion and I, I mean, I know this might sound cheesy, but it really did feel like there was kind of more of a um, a mission for us to help support our our partners and, our, mm-hmm. and, the co- and the roasters by, you know, getting the word out there about trade to really bring in as much business and growth for them to help them make up for some of the losses in their business. So, um, yeah, the marketing definitely took on a little bit more of a mission in that time and definitely opened us up to different possibilities than, than we were focused on previously
0: so was it like you know you say it's a little bit more mission-based marketing was it would you say the overall philosophy or like how, how did you shift your messaging was it just saying we have all these roasters and they're all of their wholesale accounts you know have shriveled up and so now you can buy from them directly what was the overall philosophy behind how your marketing shifted in march to april
1: um, I mean, I would say the the roaster message was uh, was definitely a, a part of it and helping. I mean, it's part of our value proposition anyways, helping mm-hmm. consumers understand that when they purchase from trade, they're actually purchasing from local roasters. So it was partially helping them understand that, because I think at that time, a lot of people were wanting to support local and understanding how like that, that that part of uh, the economy was really uh, struggling. Um, but then I think it was also just as much as balancing out that emotional message with the very functional. I think people were very much in a, you know, uh, like dire state of like, I just need to get what I need when yeah. I need it. So really reinforcing those functional benefits of, you know, home delivery, on demand, mm-hmm. get it when you need it. Um, so it's really finding that that balance in our messaging to hit on both parts of it.
0: Absolutely. One thing I'd I'd love to hear just your thoughts on as as a marketing professional. You you were saying earlier that you focus mostly on middle of the funnel, and for a coffee company, especially one that works directly with uh, with roasters, especially you know nicer roasters. Uh, I imagine that you have a profile of the customer that you're going for the people who are looking for nicer beans that are on a little bit of a higher price point for a twelve ounce bag. And then all all this stuff changed. People were looking for coffee, and you were looking just to get awareness mm-hmm. out there. Did that Sort of increase who your target customer was, what they knew about coffee, how much mm-hmm. they would spend. How how did you sort of mm-hmm. shift your your understanding of of who the customer was and how you could expand that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's actually interesting because I think we already were starting to see that the the typical kind of a premium specialty coffee consumer was already starting to grow and expand from there. So. Yeah, you had people that were already, like, purchasing from third-wave coffee shops, and clearly that's, like, a big part of our our core customer. But even before COVID hit, we were starting to see, I would call it kind of a more uh, mass or, like, second wave, like... People were buying Starbucks or Pete's before that were starting to express interest in getting more into coffee. It almost kind of aligns with like culinary and how like, you know, people mm-hmm. are starting to get more into, you know, all the the New York Times writers and Bon Appetit and, and, and all that. And I think looking at coffee as kind of part of that culinary landscape and wanting to support more like small businesses. And so I, we already kind of had that consumer in mind. So I think for us, if anything, like COVID was an opportunity to really expand that uh, that secondary audience for us. That's kind of the customer who's maybe not as uh, experienced in specialty and kind of help them kind of make that switch and make that upgrade um, and helping them understand like what the real benefits of that are, that it is like better coffee and it is kind of like a better experience because like brewing at home, you know, has all these kind of a more emotional benefits of like, you know, kind of the ritual of of brewing um and having that moment to yourself and and kind of helping people to not only on board and understand better how to brew at home, but then also how to make it like a habit that they could feel confident in. And, and again, using education as a key tool that like if somebody doesn't know how to do something, they don't feel confident doing something, they're not going to be able to do it. They're not going to enjoy doing it all the time. So um, that was kind of like a big part of you know, kind of explaining the value proposition and then supporting their their journey of coffee discovery.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned the YouTube video. Can you go a little bit more into exactly, you know, what you were hoping to uh, reach with that, what it ended up being? And I imagine, you know, you're talking about this sort of trying to reach these new customers and a YouTube video, you know, especially you mentioned Bon Appetit mm-hmm. and people like that, that that's mm-hmm. sort of a, a great channel to reach more people and to have mm-hmm. sort of a voice and a message attached to it. So how did you approach that? And what did you know, what mm-hmm. did you actually do?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think a big part of that is appealing to people more on the the emotional side that if you get too into the the nitty gritty of specialty coffee, um, and and you're you don't have as much familiarity with that. I think you start to like lose people, it starts to get a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. So this is really trying to meet people where they were right now, uh, or at that moment. And, you know, social distancing had just started, people were at home, and the insight that we had was that coffee really is, at the end of the day, so much about community and about human connection. And really trying to like tap into that message that even though everyone is separated, that they can still come together over coffee. And as people were starting to do over, over zoom, you know, that you could not only get your coffee delivered by trade, but that you could also still have that connection to other people by brewing your coffee and, you know, connecting remotely. So the, the idea was brew from home together. Interesting. And so we were also doing that as a, as a company, you know, (laughs) as we were starting to get our feet, I mean, you know, it really was kind of like a transition because, as you can imagine, there's always brewing in our office and, you know, oh, here's this like amazing, you know, blah, 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 like blend. Um, and so that was kind of like a loss to us. But we were starting to kind of like adapt and connect in different ways. And so, um, you know, that was kind of like the message that we, we wanted to bring to a broader audience and do it in a way that was truly authentic, because it mm-hmm. was, in fact, our team all recording themselves and remotely kind of connecting with one another.
0: It's so interesting. Uh, A few weeks ago, I talked with the, I guess he was the CMO or the the VP of marketing of King Arthur Flower. And he was saying like, pretty much like, Mm -hmm. I think that you guys are in sort of parallel, interesting situations where it's like, you have something that's in high demand. And he, his focus was also on creating new and interesting content because people were hoping to learn about how to bake, but we're also just at home looking for anything to consume. So I imagine you're Mm -hmm. in this interesting moment too, where people, people might know how to make coffee, but they want more, more information on that. And there is sort of a dearth of actually accessible information about, you know, about coffee culture beyond just like the, the geekiest of the geeky.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we, we found, um, I mean, it's definitely been an evolution for us, but finding ways to take, those more esoteric aspects of coffee and brewing and making them more accessible um, has been like a big part of the process and through whether it's live content with our director of coffee, Maché, who's just like, he's just this like very affable uh, you know, man. And he's just like really breaks it down in a way that just kind of makes you feel like anyone can do this, you know, um, all the way through to like content that we've created on Instagram that like literally like breaks down in almost like digestible bites and like diagrams, like all these kind of more complicated parts of, of brewing and helps people also pinpoint what type of brew methods might be best for them and educate them about these little nuances. So there's like honestly, a lot of like myths in coffee too. Mm -hmm. So kind of just like demystifying all that stuff um, is like a big part of, you know, not only making people more comfortable, but also getting them to kind of like share that content with their friends, you know, kind of get the word out there um, is very Mm -hmm. much a part of the brand of of trade is that we're all about specialty coffee, but we're about making it accessible for this wider audience.
0: Well, can you just go a little bit more, especially on the Instagram front? Because I imagine there's a lot of opportunity on Instagram just to be, you know, coffee making can be very visual. And there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of avenues you can take. So did you what did you do more informative content? How did you sort of approach Instagram over the last few months as people were on their on their phone specifically?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as you can imagine, we tapped into that that live space, and I, yeah. I think that, like, really humanizes it a little bit more, because it was just kind of like, Mache was, like, literally a guy in his bedroom brewing coffee, so it, <laughs> it, I think there was something, like, really great about that, it was almost like democratizing of, like, people at all levels, because you know, you didn't have this fancy equipment and this like front that you might normally have in like a studio or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really effective. And basically he went through all the different brew methods, uh, like the ones that are a little bit more complicated and just kind of like broke it down. Um, so that was one part of it. Then also, um, We did a lot of content that was kind of like, like I said, breaking down the uh, kind of more complex topics around coffee or or helping guide people to make the right choices for themselves. For instance, showing a diagram that shows different brew methods and how much quantity you can get out of them. So if you're brewing for two people, these are some options that work really well versus if you're brewing for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. like you're kind of limited to to these choices as just an example And then in addition to the educational content, we also put a big spotlight on our roasters and really, um, you know, kind of humanizing their experience and what they were going through and helping people, helping to connect the fact that this coffee that you're purchasing actually is coming from these roasters and, you know, this is what they are going through. So your your purchase of their coffee actually is having a much bigger impact um, in, in their business and, and really just understanding, um, you know, kind of what they were going through. So we did that through lives, um, and other kind of like recorded just video content of like, actually for the first time having roasters really record themselves, um, and do kind of interviews with them as well.
0: Absolutely. What are, were you looking into other more like experimental channels, uh, for growth? You know, you mentioned that you were, you know, you, you did the Yahoo homepage, you did a YouTube. Have you ever thought about, TV in general? Have you thought into others like, I don't know, people mentioned TikTok, I don't know if that would actually be good for, for your value proposition, but like where else have you been looking specifically now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the YouTube test was uh, very uh, affirming to us that that video is like a big uh, opportunity, whether it's continuing to invest in YouTube or experimenting in you know streaming. So that's something that's definitely on the, the horizon for us. Um, And um, I mean, I'd say like SEO is something that, as you can imagine, because we have such an emphasis on education and it's also casting that wide net of of people just the same way you would in TV and really bringing them in via content, whether it's how-to content or just kind of more educational content around coffee. Um, And so we built a really strong foundation of that. And as you can imagine, we saw I mean, the SEO traffic actually remains somewhat static during um, the COVID oh. times, but the conversion like nearly, mm-hmm. nearly doubled. So we see that our role as a brand, but also as a growth tactic is in being like the educational voice for coffee. And surprisingly, there weren't that many like incumbents in that, that space before. I mean, there's definitely like a few brands that have like, you know, invested like in certain, uh, certain like kind of search areas, but- we're really trying to like blanket all of the search around coffee, both on Google and next is kind of getting more into uh, YouTube and just knowing that that's where people are consuming content and really kind of like nerding out, if you will, and wanting to kind of go down that rabbit hole because that's kind of the nature of coffee is, you know, you kind of get into it a little bit and then you want to keep going further. And so there's almost like levels. And so we want to create content that is allowing people to, you know, continue their journey, you know, on their own uh, time.
0: We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So would you call your, your SEO strategy more, I guess, instrumental? Like, are you just trying to get people who, when they say, how do I use V V60 or I need to brew a good cup of pour over so that they get you first sort of what are, what are sort of the buckets that you focus specifically with SEO and I imagine it's probably pretty similar to YouTube, but I'd love to hear just more about how you're approaching that specifically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so in SEO, I think there's kind of like it almost goes down the funnel. At the yeah. at the top is just introducing new consumers who we know are already brewing coffee to trade. So if somebody's searching for like how to brew french press which were like the number one search result or how to brew coffee like they probably already have the coffee so we're really bringing them in and trying to show them give them value from trade and kind of start building that relationship getting them in our funnel and then building out that relationship with them by continuing to give them more educational content bringing them back engaging them more so that eventually you know they will um they will convert but then it kind of goes further down the funnel with um with content that's more targeted at specific search around coffee. So for instance, decaf, if you're searching for decaf coffee, because you're wanting to learn more about decaf and like you know how is it attracted differently and that kind of thing, chances are you're more in a like shopping mindset. So then really taking that is like the next step and introducing those consumers to um, to our product offering and helping match them right from the get go. So kind of works on different levels, more, some more storytelling and more just like kind of like learning more about the brand and some that's like definitely more um, like conversion driven.
0: Do you do anything with the like with the actual coffee devices, like especially now that people are more interested in learning how to do a French press, how to do different pour over? Have you done any, I don't know, partnerships or Mm -hmm. whatever, just in terms of getting people so that they have the devices and are making different ways of different forms of coffee?
1: I think that's, that's definitely the next step. I mean, as you can imagine, we, we've kind of like solidified, uh, these, our core customers as, you know, they're buying, you know, bags of coffee from us on a regular basis. So it is kind of like the natural progression, whether it's getting new customers in specialty coffee by getting them started with the right equipment and getting them all the, the resources they need to use it properly. Or also kind of like what we call like leveling up, you know, people that are already into it and want to experiment with like the next thing. So you go from like the pour over to, you know, the Chemex and et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely uh, partnerships and just like building that into the the experience is definitely something we we have our eyes on. But we really have been focused first and foremost on getting that that coffee discovery piece of our experience. Right. And, you know, it's taken a couple of years, but you know, that has really like come together and making sure that we're matching people to the right coffees and, you know, giving them all the controls that they want in their experience so that, you know, they really are kind of getting the right product for them on their terms. Um, so yeah, there's definitely layering that will go on top of that.
0: Like just sort of going and going back to the matching, I feel like coffee has such a wide array of different kinds of people who turn to it. And so, uh, especially when you're beginning to do the the matching, figuring out what people like, what people don't like, how do you sort of blend it so that it has the, the right, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, th- that it goes deep enough so that a person who knows a lot about certain single origin roasts mm-hmm. would be able to choose what they want. And and it's it's easy enough so that someone else on the other side of the spectrum would be able to say, I want a dark roast, I want a medium roast, and mm-hmm. I want to put milk in it. How do you sort mm-hmm. of approach that so that both people feel happy with the experience?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it starts out with just making sure that we have like an apples to apples comparison of all the coffees that are out there as As you obviously are familiar, like a dark roast for one company might be a medium roast at another company. So the first step for us is the classification process. And that is really reliant on on our coffee experts. So it's like completely proprietary. So our coffee team cups every single coffee and they rate it amongst like all of these different categories and that all becomes metadata that then goes into our algorithm. And then we collect the data from consumers with the the quiz. And there are definitely some key questions in there that give us indications of where they are in their their coffee journey. So, and, and just some things that are really like you would never take somebody who drinks coffee, their coffee with milk and give them, you know, some kind of very like light washed coffee from like Ethiopia. It just wouldn't it would curdle the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely like it's all calibrated so that you're matching those metadata and the inputs of the coffee with the the user preferences. I think what we see is right now we're we're matching people certainly to to the right coffee that matches their their taste profile and their kind of like level of adventurousness. Um, I think the next opportunity for us is just to get even more dialed into particular preferences that that people have. For instance, we just launched um, decaf coffee, which uh, that so you can sign up for a subscription that is decaf only. But there are people that some people like have a very open mind. They're just like these are the kind of things I like. Just. You know, surprise me. And then there's some people that are like, you know, I really like single origins, or I want to try like this particular kind of thing. And so I think like, as the experience evolves, we will continue to collect even more inputs to fine tune um, those experiences and kind of give people that journey of discovering coffee that is like 100% personalized to to their taste preferences and to what they're interested in learning and discovering more about.
0: hmm what are you doing as the 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 cmo of this the company now that cities are reopening and coffee shops are reopening and so <laughs> some of the people you know are you, are you going to be changing your messaging in terms of people are going to be behaving differently especially with how they buy and you know get their coffee uh, are you going to be doing different campaigns on that front or are you just going to be keeping keeping trudging along with what you've been doing for the last little bit
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, I think one of our, our big areas of focus, it, even before reopening started, was just knowing that we had basically tripled our our, our subscriber count in like mm-hmm. such a short amount of time was that doubling down on that customer experience and making sure that we were addressing any of the key issues, but also like going above and beyond and really delighting those customers because our business as a subscription model is not just about getting customers, but it's about retaining them for for as long as possible and, and really, um, you know, just creating that that delightful experience. In terms of the, uh, like our, our acquisition strategy, I mean, I think if anything, we um, we are more kind of like double down into like who we are and what we have to offer. And so I think I think our message has almost crystallized in the past few months, um, both as a brand and as kind of like our, our value proposition. So I think it's more a matter of just like, seeing that through and being true and consistent to, you know, what we have to, to offer.
0: And so you, you sort of mentioned this before, but w- w- what are you doing specifically now that you have three times as many subscribers for, for churn? Like, uh, is it just sort of directly messaging them, making, you know, the surprise and delight you mentioned earlier? How are you approaching that? Because I imagine people pr- might have signed up for a subscription in March because they wanted coffee delivered to their door, but soon they'll go back to work. And so it might be a different different environment for them in the coming months.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's kind of like there's almost like the two prong. There's like the product side and then there's kind of more like the the branded experience side. And mm-hmm. um, so I think from from a content perspective, you know, we really are even during more COVID times, we were really were trying to inculcate brewing as like a habit and like create that because like. I'm under the belief. I mean, I've worked for other subscription brands that like once you do something often enough and you reap the benefits of it, that it does become a part of your routine, even if you scale back on it, it's like something that you you enjoy and you get something out of. So that was kind of already baked into um, into our planning. Um, but then on the product side, it was really just doing a ton of of listening and understanding where our our consumers were at and like rising to, uh, address some of those uh, some of those particular areas. So, for instance, um, customers have uh, expressed like a real desire to be able to adjust their coffees if, if they if wanted. You know, like oh, I really want to try this particular coffee. Um, so we we adjusted our experience so that customers can um, update their queue. So up mm-hmm. to like the the next three coffees, you can adjust which ones you have. Um, that was like a big area or even like addressing some of the concerns around price, you know, obviously, um, you know, a lot of people are in harder economic times and, you know, it can be harder to justify a like premium cost of, you know, a bag of, of coffee from top, top roasters. Um, I think a lot of people understand the, the quality and the value of what they're getting, but at the end of the day, some people just like, can't make that choice. So we've also created, um, created, a um, an element in our product that allows people to downgrade to a, a more affordable pr- subscription for them as well. So it's like, if you still want to have like this amazing experience, like we will give you a different, um, offering that, that meets you at the price that you're you know able to pay right now. And, and understanding that people's like needs will like adjust over time. And also if somebody just says they have too much coffee, giving them the opportunity to pause their subscription. Cause I think it's less about like holding onto them for dear life and being more flexible to them and allowing them to, you know, use the service on their own needs and kind of like adapting to that. So that's been a big part of the focus on the um, on the product and customer experience side.
0: How, have you been hearing anything, like anything more from those areas from customers? Have many of them been going to the more affordable side recently or have they been, you know, putting their their subscriptions on pause? What have you been hearing yeah. from customers?
1: Well, one of the interesting things we've always found in um, in kind of churn research and just like talking to to customers is even when they say that they've they've paused or canceled their subscription, a vast majority of them say that they've just they're just going away for a little bit and they plan to come back, um, which I think is like really uh, you know speaks volumes to the experience that's been created, but it also shows why we have more work to do. To make sure that that is such a memorable experience that they have like more of a connection to trade so that if they do go off that they will like they will come back because you know they will want to not only get the benefit of, of the coffee but that they feel like loyalty towards it and so that's a lot of what we've done also just on the brand side and actually with um with come together coffee that we that we recently launched um, and a number of initiatives that we've also done during COVID times to um To really just like show what what trade is all about and how we are there to support our local communities and our roasters and empower our customers to to be part of that with us. Um, Because we believe that 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 is something that, that draws people to us, that it's not just the discovery of coffee, but that it's also having that connection to local roasters and to their communities.
0: Absolutely. Do you, what is your approach to discounts? Cause I feel like a specific, do you, do you offer like introductory discounts? How does that fit into the general model in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that you work with roasters? And so it's a sort of different, the margins are a little bit different than if you were the roaster yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we we are not like super discount uh, oriented as a business. Um, as as I know some businesses are just like, you know, it's almost <laughs> yes. like they're well reliant on it. Um, we have definitely found that having a offer Uh, A discount, a 30% discount on your first bag when you sign up for a subscription is uh, a key driver of conversion for us. And then after that, the only discount that there really is, is as a subscriber, you get an always on discount of 15% off um, our kind of like specialty bags of coffee. So that you do really have a perk of, of being a subscriber in addition to free shipping, which is like really big in the specialty coffee world, not all. Uh, coffee roasters are able to ship their bags free, so that's like a nice perk in addition to you know some of the others. But from a value perspective, you are always getting a discount as a, a member.
0: Interesting. Yeah. When what do you just sort of going off of that? Do you think that since things have shifted so drastically, specifically with roasters and their wholesale models and coffee shops closing, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen in that space in terms of roasters perhaps seeking out their own DTC channels? Do you think that there's going to be sort of a mad dash of of these smaller players? trying to grow out their mm-hmm. online channels as is? Are they going to be seeking out ser- more services like you? Have you been mm-hmm. seeing a lot of uh, inbound from roasters mm-hmm. saying, like, we need to reach customers more directly now because all of the coffee shops that we usually uh, sell to have closed? What, mm-hmm. what, what are the dynamics you're seeing there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, roasters are definitely, I mean, many of our roasters, as you can imagine, have their own you know, direct to consumer yeah. channels. For a few of our roasters, we actually operate that on their behalf, mm. um, and we, we don't see it as uh, as mutually exclusive. You know, like we're not in competition. Like people are going to. Some people want to buy direct from the roaster, and that's that's totally fine. To me, it's like just a different value proposition. Like if you know you love this roaster and you want to constantly get their coffee. And a lot of people feel like connected to their local roasters like you did with your your coffee shop and you want to support them directly Um, but i think the difference with us is that you the value proposition of being able to discover lots of different coffee that you otherwise wouldn't have had access to is really going to be kind of like the key differentiator and that roasters see also the benefit to them in terms of being able to access this much wider audience uh through the demand that we create um, and also being able to to grow their band, brand and get you know introduced to all these new consumers.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, I guess this will be my final question. But just we're slowly c- going towards the the second half of the year. Things are somewhat stabilizing. Although who knows what's going to happen in a few months? It's really mm. anybody's guess. What what are sort of the goals that you have specifically for trade in terms of is it just more customer acquisition is it getting the the brand messaging out there what are you focusing on so that you know so that you can have something tangible by year's end?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I definitely say the a big focus is continuing to build out the the brand and the branded experience and just. Being a part of people's lives in a bigger way than just selling them coffee, you know. People obviously shop with with their values now, and helping a broader range of people understand that that brand story and doing initiatives like come together coffee and expanding that even in the coming months to to be a bigger part of of our marketing platform um, is definitely part of the the idea. And then also, um, you know, just tactically speaking, launching. Channels that allow us to reach uh, a wider audience um, and make, you know, get this message of delivering better coffee to more people. So that paired with continuing to evolve our product experience so that as we are today, we're matching people to to the right coffees for them, Um, but evolving that in ways that, you know, is just even more appealing to to people and helps convert an even wider share of that larger audience that we're going to be driving in and whether that's through equipment upsells or like other kinds of uh, experiences that we can deliver. I think that is going to be uh, the big focus.
0: All right, Melissa, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre bien who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Thank you